The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 218. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan, where you can watch this podcast. If you want to support The Brian McClanahan Show, go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. If you do enroll, you do get the best deal on forthcoming courses. And I am releasing a course very soon. Uh, So if you are on McClanahan Academy's email list, you're going to get the information first. You'll get it a week before it's officially released. And I'm going to give you the best deal in that one-week window. So you're going to want to do it. You're going to want to get that. If you want the course for the lowest price possible, you want to enroll at mclanahanacademy.com. I also have five other courses courses available for purchase there. So you can do that. Uh, Usually, I also offer a slight discount when I release a course. And I'll probably do that again this time. So you're going to have an opportunity coming up very soon to get some McClanahan Academy uh, courses for lower a lower price than what you normally pay for them. So be on the lookout for that if you are a McClanahan Academy subscriber. If you're not, why aren't you? You need to do that. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to Learn True T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. Again, uh, that's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. I teach there with Tom Woods, Kevin Goodson, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy, a whole slew of great uh, professors. It's a, cor- it's, a, it's a website that doesn't have just history courses, also economics and philosophy a fantastic uh, website that gives you a lot of bang for your buck. So you're going to want to get involved in that too. But use my affiliate link that does support the Brian McClanahan Show. And you can always get your Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com. Just do a search for my name, get your T-shirts, hats, stickers, all that cool stuff. So uh, a lot of great material at um, at redbubble.com. Now, uh, I want to mention that uh, this is uh, the next week, the, the last week of March, there will not be any Brian McClanahan Show episodes because I'm going to be on vacation. So uh, you'll this is the last Brian McClanahan Show till the first week of April. So uh, you're going to have to catch me first week of April, April but um, this is kind of use a, a listener-generated episode. Um, I'm going to talk about three different things in this particular uh, episode of the Brian McClanahan Show that have to do with Think Locally, Act Locally, that are driven by what's in the news. Um, so this is, you know, if you want my... Uh, if you want something else for me, you know, more history-driven or uh, something that has to do with the South, I know a lot of people like uh, my, my my podcast on the South, and get the Abbeville Institute podcast. But this podcast is always designed to talk about current events uh, when they came up, and also, you know, of course, historical information too, but uh, to talk about current events. And the current events, the, there's three that I think are really interesting right now, and they all have to do with states doing something. And uh, the... First two are states doing something, well, one of them is states is a state doing something great. The other one is a state doing something okay, and one are states doing something really stupid. Uh, so this again, think locally, act locally, state driven. Uh, and so let's let's cover these three things. So we can do the good, uh, the sort of good and the really ugly. Um, but it can't be the good, the bad and the ugly. Well, I mean, Maybe it could be the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, looking at so we'll start. We'll start with the good first, and the good is this bill that just came out of the Missouri Senate, which is one of the most fantastic bills I've seen in a long time. 
Uh, and it has to do, of course, with the, uh, with the uh, Second Amendment, supposedly. But more, more accurately, this is a nullification bill. It's Senate Bill number 367, coming out of the 100th General Assembly in, in uh, Missouri. And it's introduced by Senator Burleson there. Uh, and this bill has got teeth. Now, you can go back to what Montana was trying to do uh, earlier, uh, several years ago, when there was a threat to, uh, for, for gun control legislation during the Obama administration. But the thing that's unprecedented, uh, unprecedented about this bill is that, of course, it's coming during the Trump administration. So the state of Missouri is actually being proactive in this particular process, understanding that it doesn't matter who's in power. It doesn't matter if they have R or D behind their name. You're going to see threats to, to individual liberty. And remember, these liberties, uh, the, whether it's the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, the Eighth Amendment, these particular individual civil liberties are part of the Anglo-American tradition. They're only there because individuals already had them. But the key to all of this is that relationship between the central government and the state governments. We have to understand, and this is where the, the bad bill that I'll talk about in a second, we have to understand the Bill of Rights was only intended to apply to the general government. So the general government could not pass any firearms legislation that would infringe on an individual's right to keep and bear arms. And I've already done a podcast on this, an entire episode, on how all federal firearm legislation essentially is unconstitutional. If it, the design of that legislation is to keep somebody from owning or possessing a firearm, any type of firearm. I mean, uh, but the thing is, the states could always regulate this. The states could always do this. In fact, they did. Uh, for example, after the uh, Second Amendment was ratified, the state of Pennsylvania had firearm restrictions. So the states could always do these things, and states have. I mean, look, Connecticut has very strict firearm restrictions. California has very strict firearm restrictions. Um, of course, what we see, even the states that have that, they still have problems at times uh, because uh, people will get around them. Uh, so it, it doesn't really matter about what the general government does. The states can do what they want when it comes to firearm restrictions, as long as it doesn't violate the state constitution. Now, there are some state constitutions that don't have a quote-unquote Second Amendment-type protection on firearms. I think one of them is Iowa. And uh, for years, my, uh, my brother was involved in Iowa in, in, uh, in promoting uh, Second Amendment causes, right? And I always told him the problem in Iowa is that you don't have a state protection on it. You need to ensure that the Iowa Constitution is, is amended to be clear that the state of Iowa cannot infringe on your right to keep and bear arms. Because if you just go back to the general government, well, then you're, you're playing Russian roulette at that point. The general government is going to do all kinds of things. You know, bump stock bans, we just had that. Um, so they're going to do things that are, uh, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, but looking at the time and looking at the original Constitution would have been unconstitutional uh, to have any type of restrictions on firearms. Now, the central government can pass laws that, that say you have to have a firearm, and they did. The Militia Act said that you have to have a firearm. Right? You have to have so much power, powder, so much ammunition. You have, to have, you have to go out and drill. I mean, these are things you had to do as part of the militia. Uh, but they can't say you can't have a firearm. They can't say you can't have this type of firearm. 
because, of course, we have the militia. Now, I know that the problem with that is the National Guard, and they'll say, well, we have the National Guard. The National Guard is the militia. And everything else, uh, you know, we got, we got armories for that. We got the National Guard. Uh, this, is, this is the entire problem of nationalization. And if you're just kind of a pitch, I go over this in my forthcoming course on Reconstruction and Recreation. I get into that part of recreating America, which is uh, the reorganization of the, of the United States Army. Um, so uh, that is part of recreation. It's part of recreating America. We're going away from the Founders America into something else. And so this particular bill, I mean, it's got teeth. It's really good. I think it's written well. Uh, Senator Burleson did a nice job with this bill in, uh, in producing it and writing it. And they're perfectly 100% spot on in that uh, the general government cannot, whether it's through, and they, and they bring it up, whether it's through the, uh, uh, the uh, legislation or whether it's through a court action or executive action, the, the central government has no authority in the state of Missouri when it comes to firearms, to, to banning firearms or any legislation that has the potential to infringe on the right to keep and bear arms. Uh, as long as a law, as this bill says, does not violate the Missouri Constitution either. And in fact, it brings it up. That's what I love about this law. It's not just about the Second Amendment. It's about the Missouri Constitution. We have state constitutions for a reason. Um, we have them for a reason. Now, I don't know if this bill is going to make it through the Missouri Senate. I don't know if this bill is going to make it through the Missouri legislature. I don't know if this bill will be signed by the Missouri governor. Part of me thinks it probably wouldn't, but who knows? It might. And uh, if it does, well, that would be absolutely outstanding uh, because the state of Missouri then would be pushing the issue. It's a political problem in what we're facing. And if this thing actually worked, and I know there would be some type of federal lawsuit over it, and I'm sure with the current composition of the court, this thing would be tied up, and I'm sure somebody would try to get it declared unconstitutional because it's the supremacy clause and all the other nonsense. Uh, that's that's the problem. But then, of course, the, uh, the the people of Missouri can just ignore that. And in fact, this bill has provisions in it that mandate that state law enforcement officials follow this bill and not federal law, and that if any federal official comes into the state and tries to enforce the Second Amendment, they're going to be arrested. I mean, this this bill has teeth or fined. Uh, this is a really interesting bill, and I think one that is rooted in originalism. Um, I was talking to a friend the other day, and he said that uh, in, in Charleston, South Carolina, the, the Charleston uh, Tourism Board, uh, the, the Nullification House in Charleston, uh, the, the Charleston Tourism Board has said that uh, here is where nullification was signed by Calhoun and the Ordinance of Nullification that led to the Civil War. I mean, this is how stupid this stuff is. Nullification didn't lead to the Civil War, not in any way, shape, or form. It didn't lead to the Civil War. In fact, Calhoun's position was this will prevent Civil War. It'll prevent Civil War because the people of South Carolina will be secure from interference by a section that's alien to them. So you can have all the tariffs you want in New England. You can, you can do anything you want up there, but we're just not going to enforce this tariff here in South Carolina because it's alien to our economy. So we're, we're ensuring we're going to stay in the Union because if we don't have this, we're going to want to leave the Union. You see, this is the point of nullification. The idea of nullification or state interposition is to preserve the Union, 
to keep it together because the other side of that is, well, if we can't do this, then we got to leave the union. In fact, that's what Nathaniel Macon said. He thought nullification was just stupid. He said, this is dumb. If you don't want to be, if you, if you don't nullify, just leave. Right? Just get out of the union. Uh, but these particular bills are designed to protect the union, not destroy it. So here's the good bill. This is a great bill. Missouri is thinking locally and acting locally. I, I applaud Senator Burleson for this. He has done a very good job in crafting a bill that addresses all the issues you might come up, all the legal challenges you might come up with this. I think it is airtight. Now, of course, a federal court, I'm sure, is going to uh, 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 think otherwise. They're going to rule otherwise on this. You know it's coming. Then, then the point has to be, well, what's Missouri going to do at that point? Are they going to say, well... Federal court has said this is unconstitutional. The bill actually addresses that and said it doesn't really matter what the federal courts say. We're gonna we're gonna have this bill. So what do you do then? Then you have the rub. And would the general government be willing to uh, to to um, go to blows over this particular issue? I don't know. I don't think they would, because usually when nullification happens, the general government backs down. They have to because they know they really have no standing here. Okay, so what are we? What, what's going to happen at that point? So, great bill. Now, the bad bill, it's not the ugly bill, it's the bad bill. This is a bill that came out of, of um, Mississippi, and it was uh, authored by Representative Wilkes of Mississippi. It's House Bill 1562. Now, the intent is great, uh, because we have all this stuff going on in campuses now, and you've got organizations going on campuses, and they're being shut down. Free speech is being shut down on campuses. We know that campuses are just cesspools. They are uh, they are dens of a bunch of uh, ideologically driven professors and administrators. In fact, the administrators, the leftist administrators, are even worse on colleges and colleges and universities than the professors because they drive everything. And there's more uh, left percentage wise, there's more there are more leftist administrators than professors. So this is a problem on college campuses where you don't have free speech, you don't have ideas being pushed around uh, and kicked around. You have simply indoctrination. That's what we get on universities and colleges across the United States. So Mississippi is trying to be proactive in this, and I applaud them for that. In fact. Uh, this bill says an act to establish the Forming Open and Robust University Minds Forum Act as it relates to freedom of speech on the campuses of state institutions of higher learning to prohibit a state institution of higher learning from denying a religious, political, or ideological student organization a benefit or privilege available to another student organization or otherwise discriminate against such an organization based on the expression of the organization. To require state institutions of higher learning to develop and make available materials explaining the policy for campus staff and students. To require state institutions of higher learning to submit a yearly report, etc., etc. So it has all this stuff that puts teeth into it. The problem with this particular bill, great idea, but Representative Wilkes is off base in how they are uh, using the bill, or at least framing the bill and backing the bill. Essentially, what they've done in this bill is say, you have a First Amendment right to free speech. You have a First Amendment right to free speech. Now, um, that shouldn't even be there. We shouldn't even worry about what the First Amendment says. They do mention in Section 2, Section 14 of the Missouri, of the Mississippi Constitution of 1890. Um 
So they do mention the, the Mississippi Constitution, but that should be the entire basis of the bill. This particular bill should be focusing on the fact that these institutions, state institutions in the state of Mississippi, are violating the Mississippi Constitution. It doesn't matter about the First Amendment. In fact, at the end of it, they actually say they're going to waive their 11th Amendment right, and you can sue the state, uh, a state institution, if you're a student, that uh, the state will not protect the institution. Um, so that's, but see, you're saying you're going to be sued in federal court. Well, if this focus entirely on the state constitution, that 11th Amendment wouldn't even be an issue. Now, we know what's going to happen here. I mean, this is, this is why, this is because people think they have to sue in federal court right away, and that's the entire destruction of the federal structure of our court systems. This goes all the way back to the Marshall Court. But, and, and then of course there were some other things happening in the late 19th century, other things that I get into in my Reconstruction and Recreation class. So I don't want to steal all my thunder from that. But the fact is, this particular bill is good in that it's trying to protect free speech, but it's bad in that it's going about it in a way that would actually advance federal supremacy on the issue. That's something we have to avoid. So I know that there are people in Mississippi that listen to this podcast, and I believe there are some people in Mississippi that might even have some influence in the state legislature that listen to this podcast. So talk talk to your state legislators. Talk to your state legislators and say, hey, uh, we need to frame this bill. We need, we need to write this bill in a way that it's, gonna, it's going to focus solely on the Mississippi Constitution because the Mississippi Constitution protects free speech in, on, in the state, right? So uh, these are state institutions. These are not federal institutions. They're state institutions. And the way you could, you could craft this bill is to say, well, if the general government tries to deny any of these things, well, then the state of Mississippi violates the state of Mississippi, the Constitution of the state of Mississippi. You can't do that. You can't violate the Constitution of the state of Mississippi. Right? So that should be the issue here. That's where these, uh, these state bills should be going. That is, the, that is the direction that individuals should be taking when they write these bills, and they are pushing a, a good agenda, which is free speech, civil liberties, right to keep and bear arms, All of those things are English liberties that the founding generation wanted to protect, that they thought were essential to protect, and that's why we have the Bill of Rights and, of course, state Bill of Rights as well. We have to remember that the the first constitutions that had a Bill of Rights were state constitutions because that's, that's all that was necessary. In fact, this was the argument against a Bill of Rights. You have Roger Sherman saying, we don't need a Bill of Rights. we got state constitutions. I mean, what you're saying is these state constitutions are worthless, and he was right. That was one of the major arguments against a Bill of Rights. We already had state constitutions that protected these things. Why do we need another layer? If the general government passes a law that violates a state constitution, it's no law. You see, if it passes a law that violates free speech, well, you just say the state constitution says you can't do that. It's no law. You see, this is where all these bills should be going. Forget about the Bill of Rights. I mean, we can say that, well, the general government can't pass these things because we have a Bill of Rights. But more importantly, we could say the general government can't pass these things because the state constitution says this infringes upon uh, the state constitution, the state of, of Missouri, the state of Mississippi, state of North Dakota, state of, where, state of Massachusetts. Take your pick. Massachusetts with the older written constitution in the world. So take your pick. That's where we should be focusing our energy and attention, the state constitutions. 
So I encourage, and this is, this is something I go through in my American Constitutions course, I encourage you to go out and read your state constitution. Know what is in your state constitution. I mean, I can't, I, 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 you know, there's 50 of them, right? So know what's in there. Know what civil liberties are protected or not protected in your state constitution. And then craft, get your legislators to craft legislation based on that. This is think locally, act locally. This is what you have to do. Your state is your first line of protection. I'll never forget years ago when I was at a conference and um, I was listening to a friend of mine make a speech. And uh, he, he said something like this. It was about Florida. And um, at that time, this was, gosh, uh, it was well over a decade ago. And I really... I hadn't started thinking about things that way at that point, this way at that point, where the state constitution, but that I mean, opened my eyes. He said, you know, this is, and he is a, a legal scholar, and he said, this is what we need to be doing. Um, and it's he's 100% right. Your state constitution is your first line of defense. Always has been, always will be. And we need to ensure that the states and the state legislatures and your state legislators, whether they're in the Senate or the House, or if you're in Nebraska, the, the one unicameral legislature, they understand that. So, um, when you are pushing these things and actively pursuing these ideas and these agendas, focus on your states. Now, the states can also do stupid things. And, of course, the, the thing that is now, again, in the news, and I've already done a podcast on this as well, I've already done an episode on this one as well, and that is the Electoral College. In fact, I've focused on it a couple of times. Is the Electoral College racist? Why do we have the Electoral College? The Electoral College is under assault because the left is trying to figure out ways around this particular system, which is designed to keep the states real federalism involved in the presidency. You win states, not individuals. The popular vote is not even required in the U.S. Constitution. It doesn't matter. You vote for electors, and those electors can decide who they're going to vote for. And the state can make rules and regulations about that. On the other hand, the electors can really do whatever they want. The electors could say, you know what, I know you're saying I have to give my vote to this individual, but I'm not going to do it. Now, there are fines. It's thousands of dollars. I think somebody could actually challenge that and say that's a violation of, uh, of the Constitution. Um, when you get to the provision of the Electoral College, uh, I think that they could challenge that uh, because um, the states can determine who, uh, how you vote for electors, but I'm not so certain in the original Constitution where the states could say the electors have to vote this way or that way. Uh, the electors vote however they want. So I think states could actually challenge that. In fact, these national popular vote initiative uh, bills, which there, there, are, there are major problems with this, there are major problems with this. And so um, the major problem, and I'm going to get into this, the, the couple of major problems I have. Number one, I believe the, the uh, bills, the National Popular Vote Initiative bills, uh, violate Article 1, uh, Section 10. And I say that because states cannot form compacts, right? I mean, it's very clear that states in Article 1, Section 10 cannot form these type of alliances, confederations, and this is a compact. And I say that because if the states were just doing this and saying, all right, here's how we're going to divvy up our electoral college votes, and they were just passing it, and this is going to take effect immediately, but they're not doing that. They're waiting till other states do the exact same thing before they implement the law. So until then, 
They're going to keep going the old way they've done it, but as soon as the other states do it, they're going to actually implement this particular law. I think that's, that, is, that is an open to a challenge on Article 1, Section 10 grounds, because the states can't do that. And this is an interstate compact. If they were just passing it and saying, we're going to, we're going to have this, we're going to do it now, and uh, in the next 2020 election, whoever wins the popular vote is going to get our electoral college votes. We know that won't happen. They won't do that because what happens, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't, these states are generally leftist states anyways. They're going to get their electoral college votes for whoever the Democrat is. But what happens if something and, and the, the Republican wins, right? Now they're in trouble. What happens if Republican? What happens if Donald Trump actually wins the popular vote in 2020, and California has pledged to do this? Oops. I mean, there's going to be some serious repercussions for that. I'm sure California then would sue to try to break it. They would say, "Well, we're not going to do that. We're not. We're not going to have our, our electoral college votes go that way." So I think Article One, Section 10 is a great obstacle to this, and I see a federal, I see a lawsuit almost immediately if this thing goes into effect, and it's going to lock it up, and it won't apply to 2020, maybe 2024, or the next election after it happens. It'll be locked up in court, uh, and it'll take some time to get through. Um, so, and I think that if if the court is being honest, uh, it would declare any type of bill like this unconstitutional. The Supreme Court. It would say you can't do this. The states can't have this because it's a violation of Article One, Section Ten. Now, the other area I think it violates is Article One. I'm sorry, is, is Article Five. This is a this is a, a distortion of the amendment process. If you want to alter the Constitution and say that we're going to count the popular vote, and the states actually have to give the their elector of their electors to the, who wins the popular vote, well, then you have to amend the Constitution. So this is doing an end around on Article 5 because they know if they tried to, to uh, get an amendment, it wouldn't pass. You wouldn't get the required three-fourths of the states to actually agree to this thing because they understand, several states understand, this is a destruction of federalism. And we're just not going to pass this thing. It's ridiculous. Now, I know that there are, well, the, there are conservative states that think we should do this and there are leftist states that think we should do this. So what? So what? Um, the fact is that this is a complete distortion of federalism. The reason the Electoral College is there is to ensure that the states were still current in the, in the election of the president. Because you see, originally, uh, there was a proposal to have the uh, Senate elect the president or the, the national legislature. But I mean, the, the Senate would be more involved in this, the upper chamber would be more involved in this than the lower chamber. So this is like having the states involved in that. And remember that if the pres- there's a tie for the presidency, that the House of Representatives then decides who's going to be president by state. It's very clear that the entire intent of all of this was to ensure that the states had a role in the selection of the uh, chief executive of the United States. Uh, of the executive of the United States. And so uh, w- without question, doing this and getting the popular vote is destroying the original intent of the Constitution. And, and it's something that we should be very, very worried about. Uh, because once you do this, once you get, once you destroy any vestige of federalism, we're in real trouble. Uh, essentially what you're going to have is the United States government operated by a few urban areas in, in, in the lower 48, and that's it. Um, and the, the position that, well, this is going to make people campaign all over the United States. No, it's not. No, it's not. They're not going to campaign all over the United States. They're not going to go to Delaware 
because uh, Delaware has the National Popular Vote Initiative. They're not going to go visit Sussex County, Delaware to try to get uh, all those people to vote for them. They're not going to do that. They're going to focus on the still populated areas. They're going to try to get all the votes they can in those states. In fact, they're just going to start picking a few states to go to because that's where most of the people are. Now, you can say that maybe the Republicans would go to more rural states to try to get as many rural votes as they can. So what you're going to have is the Republicans, who are now considered to be the rural party, go to all the rural areas, and the Democrats go to all the urban areas to try to get all the urban votes. And we're going to have an urban-rural urban, uh, political civil war. This is, this is really where, what would happen with this. I really think this is dangerous to do this. Dangerous. Because you're taking the federalism out of the selection of the executive office. And uh, that's not something we want. It's not something we should want. So this National Popular Vote Initiative is just absolutely stupid. Uh, now, I talked about it in 2012 in my Founding Fathers' Guide to the Constitution. Um, I mean, that was seven years ago. I could see it coming then. And here we are further down the line. We've had Donald Trump elected, you know, uh, uh, in, in 2016. So that's driving some of this. The Democrats don't like it. Um, but but uh, this, is, this has been on the horizon for a time. And uh, I said it was an idiotic idea back then. And we had a Democrat in office. I thought it was an idiotic idea then. It's an idiotic idea now. Now, what the states can do, and I think uh, in, in the long term where we should be thinking about these things, if you really want to enfranchise people in, in areas that don't that seem they're not enfranchised, you know, for example, in Alabama, where I live, you've got uh, a situation where a Democrat is probably never going to win uh, the state of Alabama in a presidential election. It's just not going to happen. Uh, Alabama's always been kind of a one-party state. It's just not going to happen. So, But you do have people in Alabama that would vote for the Democrat. Now, the way you could work that is you could do it by, you could have your electors divided up by congressional district. And I think a couple of states do this. I think Nebraska does it. And there's another one I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, where you have, uh, for example, uh, you might have a congressional district. I think we have we have one representative in the state of Alabama that's a Democrat one or two, um, but you have those areas, then you could say, well, we're going to vote by electorals come out of congressional districts. So if this candidate wins out of congressional district, well, then they get an electoral college vote out of it. So if Alabama has, uh, you know, X number of electoral college votes and uh, whoever wins the state overall gets the at-large, which is the two, the senators. So uh, if you have, or we'll just take Delaware, right? Delaware's got three electoral college votes. So uh, we need to do actually do one with four. So let's say we had a state with four electoral college votes. The Republican won one, the uh, the Democrat won the other, but the Republican got more votes. So now the Republican gets three electoral college votes out of that state, and the Democrat gets one. But that's better than the other system where it's winner take all. They get everything. So this would actually enfranchise people and think, well, if we can just get this district, we can get an electoral college vote out of it. So you're going to actually start seeing people move around to congressional districts then to go for electoral college votes. Um, I think that would be better if you're going to have some type of bill, uh, some type of thing that would divvy up these electoral college votes. Have a constitutional amendment doing that if you want to. Or have a uh, have this issue pushed in the state legislatures to do this. If we're going to say a compact is legal, well then do it this way. That's not what the Democrats want because they still know they could lose the election. So they're just going to do it where it's we're just going to get king numbers what John Randolph called king numbers, and we're going to go that way. So these bills are the ugly 
So we got the good, the Missouri bill, the bad, which is a Mississippi bill, but good intent. And then the ugly, which are these Colorado and Delaware bills, uh, which are absolutely stupid. Um, but here we are. I mean, so this is states doing some things that aren't necessarily good. Uh, good intent in some cases, but we have to be mindful and watchful of these states as well. We have to think locally and act locally, and sometimes even thinking locally and acting locally produces bad legislation, as in the case of Colorado and Delaware. All right. Uh, I will see you the first week of April. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>